Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. You know, this is, I'm just getting, I get excited when I get to talk co-op. And today I get to talk co-op with Jamila Medley from Philadelphia, or from New York, who lives in Philadelphia. Good morning, Jamila. Good morning, Vernon. How are you? I'm great. And you? I'm doing good. Doing really well, thanks. Great, 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 great. Uh, by the way, you do not have to wrap my Christmas present this year, though, because don't worry about that. Oh, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So what is the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance? Well, the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance, um, otherwise known as PACA, is a co-op of co-ops. We have membership from co-ops across different sectors and industries. And we are also a nonprofit organization with a mission to improve the lives of people living in and around the Philadelphia area. Um, by supporting and helping to promote the cooperative principles, by um, supporting democratically organized workplaces, and helping to grow a cooperative economy in our region. Okay. If you have organizations that are founded in the cooperative principles and democratically controlled, how is that going to help people in the region, given that's your mission? What we believe is that... A lot of communities and that we're working with, in particular, we center and prioritize working with marginalized communities, those that have traditionally been left out of the mainstream economy, communities of color, immigrant and refugee communities, poor working class folks, re- returning community members who were formerly incarcerated, and thinking about the ways in which folks can leverage the resources that they have and, you know, identify needs that they have in their community and then come together to really think about what they could do with those resources, with some technical assistance, with being able to raise money for more folks in their community and thinking about let's address uh, this problem by creating a new business, by creating a cooperative or at least thinking about how do we practice ways of cooperation within entities that might already exist. So thinking about how do we democratize workplaces and organizations so that people get to show up more fully as they are and and that their full value as human beings and the dignity that they bring as well as their talents can be uh, represented and experienced and felt um, in our organizations. And I think that really helps to transform individuals personally, right? The ways in which we create and sustain relationships with one another and ultimately the communities that we live, work, and play in. All right. Marginalized communities get them to pool their resources, pool their talents, and figure out what the needs are in the community and then match those two. To start a business, 
a cooperative business where they can pool everything together and also get other resources and come solve come some community problem through this vehicle called a business, a cooperative business. Did I kind of get that's that? Right. That's what you do? That That's what we do. So let me ask you the, the question I normally ask last. I'm going to ask you right now. Do you do okay. you like what you do? I love what I do. I feel so fortunate to be doing this work, to have connected to something that feels like a, a passion and is deeply rooted in, you know, the work that I've longed for, I think, figuring out a way. I have a background in nonprofit administration. And when I came to co-ops, I think one of the things that I really distinguished between working in a nonprofit that provides charity and services to working in the cooperative sector is that I'm helping people help themselves. <laughs> and making that leap and then transition for me is, has been really transformative for me personally and how I think about engaging and being of service uh, to folks in my community. And uh, I get to live that life every day. It's great. So you like getting up in the morning, going to work? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I also get to work from home most of the time. So I don't have far to go to get my work done. Get up and go to work, okay? Go get started. Where are you? Get at home, okay? Okay, got it. Fantastic. So you talked about you were in nonprofit world, nonprofit administration. Give us a little background of your education and your experience before you got in the co-op world, and how did you learn about this world? Sure. So I got, let's see, my first job coming into the nonprofit sector was actually at a community foundation in um, Connecticut while I was in college. And it was there that I was first exposed to the world of philanthropy and how um, individuals could use their, their money to support organizations that were helping to fulfill needs. And at that point, I kind of committed myself to that, that line of work um, as what I wanted to do with my career. And so I've worked in organizations that have supported efforts around cancer research, around homelessness, uh, drug and alcohol recovery programs, and a number of other things. I guess like, when was that? 2010, 2011, I decided that I wanted to go to grad school. And I started an organizational development program at the University of Pennsylvania and uh, completed that master's program and really just was like, well, what am I going to do next? And that's when I stumbled upon a job opening at Mariposa Food Co-op in West Philadelphia. And one of the prior wait, wait, roles that I had was... Hold, mm -hmm. let, me get, let me get this straight. So in your master's degree, in, was it organizational? Development, or, yeah. Organizational. You didn't learn about co-ops there. No, not at all. So, um, so it's a job opening that you say, oh, there's a job. Let me go see what this is about. And it was at a food yeah. co-op. And well, it was at the food co-op. And I had a friend who worked there. So I got in touch with her to kind of learn more about what it was. Because I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. And my understanding of co-ops was really around the housing co-op model and was also very limited, just the sense that of knowing that all of these people – um, who were living in um, a housing co-op were owning where they lived together. But that was the extent of my understanding of co-ops until I started working at the food co-op. And I was hired uh, to be their membership coordinator. And so 
it was my job to, you know, recruit and retain people um, as members of the co-op. But I didn't really know a lot. And actually, at the same time, TACA was just coming on board and was uh, evolving into an organization. Um, it was being run by a group of volunteers. And so I offered to start volunteering on their steering committee so that I could learn about co-ops and hopefully do my my job more effectively at Mariposa Food Co-op. I've been involved at PACA ever since. Okay, so you, 2010, 2011, University of Pennsylvania, you're working on a master's in organizational development. You get your degree and you go find a job. You see a job opening in Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. Membership coordinator. Okay. Mm-hmm. So was this particular food co-op, did the members own and control the business, or was it a worker cooperative where the employees own and control the business? So Mariposa Food Co-op is a consumer-owned food co-op, and historically has also been a site for deep democratic practice and um, some level of of, um, autonomy for its staff. So while I was there, Mariposa Food Co-op also had a staff collective that, you know, strove to operate the business democratically as workers. But they weren't formal. Some of the workers were also owners because you could join the co-op as a, as a worker, but it's formally a consumer-owned co-op. So in this case, the consumer-owned co-ops are the people that shop there. They are the shopping folks. Then they own shares of stocks. They're members and owners, and they control the business. That's right. Okay. That's right. And so food co-ops is one of them that I've most have been consumer co-ops, but some of them are worker co-ops. And then there are some others that are both. The consumers own a portion of the business and the employees own a portion of the business. So it's a hybrid. Right, right. And I think there are um, some interesting efforts right now to kind of figure out how to make that balance happen. Um, as you mentioned, traditionally food co-ops are consumer owned, but I think in thinking about the values and principles of the co-op movement and, you know, democracy, someone being embedded in how um, cooperatives function, imagining how to extend um, those practices and those principles and values um, beyond the owners to also the workers, I think has been um, a, cr- a critical opportunity that folks are really starting to investigate more seriously how to, how to create that balance. So how long did you work as a membership coordinator at the Mariposa Food Cooperative? I was in that role for about one year, and um, then I transitioned into being the membership and marketing manager and combined the membership, marketing, outreach, and education into one department and um, ran that department. And I then um, also moved into a role as a co-general, somewhat like a co-general management structure that went into place. Uh, Mariposa Food Co-op also at that time had an operations committee that was, um, you know, the staff collective's way of being able to have some autonomy and control of how the workplace operated and how the grocery store operated was by having several of its members um, work as co-general managers together in the store. So we did that for a while, too. Okay, so you're bright and you're fresh out of your master's program, having some experience in the um, 
nonprofit world and you get a job at Mariposa Food Cooperative in Philadelphia. And on your webpage, it says West Philly. Okay. And you mm-hmm. membership coordinator for a year, and then you start doing marketing. And you also mentioned training, which is the fifth principle of cooperatives, is training mm-hmm. both the people inside the co-op and the folks outside um, right. to, to know what a co-op is and what it's all about. And then you became a co-general manager working together. Okay, so you're moving on up in the world. <laughs> it was some fast movement, but um, it was a critical time of growth for the uh, Mariposa Food Co-op, which had recently expanded when I first started working there um, and had become open to the public for the first time in its 40-year history at that time. So there's a lot of new opportunities to grow and, and learn and, and figuring out how to meet the needs of the community that was being served. So I, okay. I got to play a number of different roles in that. So we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, I want to do a little bit more talking in general as we've been talking, but I'd like to go and sort of focus on some of the folks that are members of your cooperative. Okay. Okay. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Everybody, this is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And WOL is a great partner for this program, just as you just heard. Information is power, is their motto. And the National Cooperative Bank is supporting this particular program to give you information. Now, just getting the information, there is no power in that. Really, there's no power. You've got to put some action to it. And we have on the phone with us today Ms. Jamila Medley from the Philadelphia area at the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance. And we're going to talk for this rest of this hour about what kind of actions you can take. And that's where you get your power. Jamila, welcome back. Well, thank you. Hello again. (laughs) Hey. So in general, you are cooperative among cooperatives. So how how is that form and how does that work at the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance? So um, Philadelphia has a long and rich history of um, cooperatives here in the city. And some folks who have been involved in those co-ops, food co-ops, energy co-op, daycare co-ops, came together to to imagine, really, what would it be like if our, you know, different co-op sectors and our different co-op businesses were able to work more collaboratively together to promote the co-op business model and to really try and see how we can leverage the resources and um, structures and opportunities and challenges we have independently, what could happen if we begin to imagine um, cooperating amongst ourselves, right? And that was kind of the idea around the creation of PACA. And so each of those co-ops Amongst the volunteer group who uh, formalized uh, PACA, it was important to figure out how to how to keep our our co-ops in the area centered in our work through the organization. 
And so the co-op structure was created to support that. So our co-ops pay dues annually to uh, be a part of PACA. They also nominate uh, members to our board and elect those board members each year as well. And, you know, our engagement with them, our members, really helps us understand what the needs are of the co-ops themselves, but also what the needs of their communities are as well. And our member co-ops, particularly the older ones, have really been supportive of the work that PACA has been able to do to start to, sell, to help start new cooperatives in our region. And so a lot of Principle 6 cooperation amongst um, cooperatives is happening in the Philadelphia area, in, in part because we have um, this commitment from our member co-ops to grow our co-op economy and to be a place where we can help serve their needs as well. So we've talked about principle number five, that's the education, training, and information, which was the number principle, the main principle that I liked when I first got introduced to co-ops. Mm-hmm. And uh, now number six is cooperation among co-ops. Um, and we've talked about consumer co-ops, and we've talked about worker cooperatives. But there's two other types I'd like to get in here, and that's the purchasing co-op. And that's where groups of folks would come together. A lot of farmers and now artists are beginning to use this way of purchasing collectively whatever they need. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I want to tell you, um, Jamila, there's a group in D.C., CPA, uh, Consumer Purchasing Alliance, and they're beginning to branch out into other cities. And Philly is close enough by, I think. uh, I know they're down in Richmond. But they are helping churches and nonprofits government entities every now and then, but they help different people. And it's it's interesting how churches were getting ripped off with like things like garbage collection. Mm-hmm. And so they provide several services and products for all of these people and it saves them a lot of money. So that might be something you may want to look in and it's, and I can get you the information if you want to talk to the people here about doing that. Because when I look at you have all of these different co-ops, it seems like there might be a place for the co-ops and nonprofits where you could purchase. And maybe you are, do you have a purchasing co-op there? Uh, we, we don't, not one that we're aware of or that we're working with. I think that, you know, one of our groups is trying to imagine how to that work. Um, we work with a, a number of urban farmers in a coalition called uh, Soil Generation. Mm-hmm. And we've been, I know that they've been navigating this question around how can these independent farms be thinking about sharing resources and consolidating resources to support some of their administrative needs. So that model is something that is being explored that I think we'll dig a little bit more into in 2019. Okay. Now there's another, the others, the fourth major type of co-ops is some people call it a producing co-op or I call it a marketing co-op. And that's on the other end of the farmers and artists, you get, you get one group that's buying stuff and then you get like farmers and they produce things and artists produce things. And then you have another group, another company that sells it, that markets it. That, And they may produce like in farming, they may take cabbage and make coleslaw. They may add some value to it. So, And then they send it out. And we have uh, Land O'Lakes and Cabot Creamery. There's a group in Pittsburgh of mostly, I think, black ladies, mostly ladies and I think African-Americans called uh, – Ujama, 
that's artists and they produce their bags and wood stuff and jewelry and then they have a storefront where they sell it mm-hmm. um so there's the different four types of co-ops and looking on your web page about cooperatives you know, i see co-ops in philadelphia you have a long list of co-ops <laughs> yeah so as i mentioned there co-ops have, have been in philly for a long time i think it's, it's one of the um advantages that we have is having this rich history and some mature co-ops really around to support our work. 53 credit unions, and a credit union is a form of a consumer co-op like housing co-ops are, and you have 53 in the Philadelphia area. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And we've been fortunate to have a couple of them over the course of um, PACA's existence to work with us, and I think, you know, figuring out how to do more work with our credit unions is one of uh, the questions that stays on the table for us to imagine how do we support them in um, identifying more closely with the cooperative movement and figuring out, you know, which ones are interested in that kind of strategy development and and finding new opportunities to connect with um, community members by being more affiliated with the co-op movement. Fantastic. Okay. So, I want to change a little bit to talk about, you said you're having startups and this cooperation among co-ops to look at startups. And I think I heard you mention, at least I saw on your webpage, about 20 book clubs. What is that? So uh, the 20 book clubs, 20 cooperative businesses program, PACA ran uh, between 2016 and 2017. It was really inspired by Jessica gordon Nemhart's book, Collective Courage, and research that she'd been doing about the history of African-American um, cooperatives in the United States. And one of her findings was that of the, of the historical co-ops and many of the groups that she'd talked to and research, they all formed study circles <laughs> um, as a significant element to being able to start a co-op. So this idea of learning what is a co-op, learning um, more about the industry or sector that you're wanting to start a business in, learning about how you want to work together and what kinds of um, you know strategies you want to use to make decisions when you're working democratically with others, a lot of you know dynamics in relationships show up. So the study circles provide uh, space for people to kind of navigate those things. And so through the 20 book clubs, 20 cooperative businesses program, PACA was able to recruit 20 different groups of people who were interested in forming a co-op or or at least studying um, the possibility of forming a co-op around the business idea that they had. And so we ended up working with about 200 people in the region over six months, providing support to them for um, their study circles. And then after the six months of study, about half of those groups um, determined that, yeah, we want to move forward um, with thinking more concretely and more seriously about forming a new cooperative business. And so PACO was able uh, to partner with the Legion Fields, now known as Wanderwell and CultureWorks Greater Philadelphia, to bring them in to do some intensive business strategy development, coaching, and training with some of those groups. And 
we went on to see that a few of those groups, I think we, we've launched two new co-ops out of um, this project. Fantastic. And we've, we've created a pipeline of new cooperatives in various stages of development that we continue to work with. So it's been a really phenomenal, it was a phenomenal process that we're still taking away our, our learning lessons from it, but also really recognizing um, the role of Principle 5 around education and training and how important it is to supporting pre-development opportunities for groups coming together to form co-ops. We're going to take our second break and we'll come back and, and take up from here about this um, circles. But Dr. Jessica Gordon-Emhar's book is called Collective Courage, A History of African-American Cooperative Economic Thought and Practice. And it's a powerful book. The other thing she said was that whenever co-ops start having trouble, they would go back to their circles. They'd go back to the study, which I found interesting. We'll be right back. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, 95.9 FM. And Oaks, the program is Everything Cooperative. And we have Ms. Jamila Medley from the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance on the phone with us. She is an exciting, beautiful, intelligent young black lady. And the National Cooperative yeah. Bank is sponsoring this program and whose mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And they do a great job of that. What did you start to say, Jamila? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to say, oh, I get to be young. Thank you. Well, to me, you are. Okay, I got it. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's okay. great. And you didn't comment on the beautiful and intelligent part either, though, I see. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, I know those things. Oh, We're got good. it. <laughs> got it. <laughs> <laughs> Who loves her work. Neat. Yeah. Because she can help people every day. Solve community problems. Dame Pauline Green, who was the president of International Cooperative Alliance, said on the program that co-ops help people to come out of poverty with dignity. And I really like that is that folks that are in marginalized communities that you already talked about can really get the skills that they need. You can start at 20 groups of people to about 200 of them. Uh, so that tells me it's about 10 people per group. You work with them for six months and they constantly learn, constantly learn. And I got that 10 businesses were looking to form and two have already formed. And so that gets to the question that, Dr. Jessica Gordon-Emhart talked about in her book was that co-op businesses are much more successful than normal, um, what's that thing, capitalistic businesses. So have you found that to be the case? Well, as I mentioned, the groups are, you know, newly launched within um, this year. I think what we're learning and what some of the data tells us, particularly is uh, we know that, you know, traditional business, I think something like 50% of traditional businesses fail within the first four to five years of operating. And we know that 
with cooperatively owned businesses, and maybe even more specifically, um, worker owned businesses, that once they're able to, to get past that four or five year mark, that our businesses are much more sustainable, um, productive, and uh, happier places to work um, for the people who are there um, and, and the folks who are owning them. Okay. I, I've got to. You make me want to verify these the stats I'm getting ready to say, but I think I got them out of Dr. Jeff Gordon in her book that said that after five years, 10% of normal businesses, those businesses start up with a person and some money there, are in existence after five years. But in co-op businesses, 90% are still in the business after five years. And the reason for it is the training that you just talked about. And I also think that by going through the training, half of them weren't going to start half of the people or so if it's on average. So, you know, they self-select not to go into business for whatever reasons and perhaps all kinds of reasons. And then the ones that do start because they have this training and they learn how to work together and pool their resources and so forth. And they like their work. Like you said, they have input in. And so they like what they're doing. And so they're much more successful. And I think there's also an element of succession planning that's available in uh, the co-op structure so that, you know, just because one person leaves doesn't mean that the business is going to collapse because they don't just have one owner. And I think the education and training piece is also really critical. And this is sometimes where uh, co-ops can get tripped up is, and being able to figure out what's the baseline sets of knowledge and uh, skill sharing that needs to happen within a cooperative business for it to function well. So that if or when, um, you know, someone does leave, there's enough uh, understanding about how to operate the business and enough understanding of the internal dynamics and infrastructure of the business that the other owners can really move with keeping the business going. Okay. Now, I understand, looking at your webpage, that you have a, a workshop called Leadership Development Workshops. It's available to everybody. What is that program? Yeah, so uh, in 2016, PACA launched its Cooperative Leadership Institute, and it was originally uh, designed to support our uh, employees at cooperatives across our region. And it was a cohort-based program um, that took place over six months that involved um, a bunch of leadership training um, skills gaining. And we went through that cohort. In subsequent years, what we recognized was that, one, even though our, uh, we have a number of co-ops here, the pipeline for uh, repeating that program as a cohort model wasn't well-developed enough, so we needed to take some time. But what we did have was a bunch of uh, materials and curriculum um, that was available to talk about how to support people who are interested, who are working in democratic workplaces or who are interested in more participative um, leadership styles and practices that we had this curriculum available. And so in uh, the summer of 2017, we began thinking about how to adapt that curriculum to a two-hour workshop format. And we really also um, 
formatted and framed the curriculum around emotional intelligence and how leaders can gain and practice skills around self-awareness so that they could be um, better managers and leaders. And, and not just for people who had formal titles, but we can lead across very different um, positions within an organization. And so what does that mean, right? And how do we build awareness about ourselves and how to do that within our organizations? And so cooperative businesses, I think, in our region at least, many of them are trying to imagine how to how to practice um, leadership in these ways. And we think that um, other sectors could also benefit from practicing leadership in these ways. And so we ended up partnering again with uh, CultureWorks Greater Philadelphia to offer this workshop series and did four or five workshops in the fall of 2017 and then did uh, another five earlier this year. So are you also trying to get people in the pipeline for management in these different co-ops who can learn leadership skills and then also about a cooperative? Yeah, so I think the goal, again, is thinking, I think, you know, when I think about who attended these workshops, they were people who were uh, CEOs and executive directors. They were also frontline workers and social uh, workers. Mm. They were organizers and activists. So people coming from a lot of different backgrounds and levels of experience in the workplace. So I don't think that the training was explicitly designated as um, formal management training, but the topics that we covered were things around strategic leadership and situational leadership, learning to be adaptive in your leadership style, thinking about uh, conflict management, thinking about how leadership and power intersect. So really these relationship-based constructs and concepts within how we practice leadership is where we focused uh, in, in, you know, the reinvented model of the Cooperative Leadership Institute that we offered this year. Fantastic. Okay, so you're creating co-ops, creating educational programs to, for leadership. So what are you doing to sort of strengthen the co-ops that are already in existence? Mm-hmm. So some of the things that we are offering to our existing co-ops, we will come in and do workshops or trainings with them uh, and their staff, sometimes on leadership things. Sometimes we might come in and help to, you know, uh, mediate conflicts or, you know, be available to talk through some of those kinds of challenges. Um, A lot of our work with our existing co-ops, particularly the older ones, we're really trying to imagine what the value proposition is or how to transition the value proposition for more mature co-ops. Because in many ways, the work that PACA does in our capacity is really geared towards startups and Mm. folks at the early uh, phases of development. And so with our more mature co-ops, I think their interest and support of of PACA is really centered around our capacity to to grow the co-op economy and that we can be a conduit for serving their uh, interest in doing that. And I think um, another area that we've been working with that's, you know, in our food co-op sector in particular is PACA convenes our food co-ops in the region. There are about six or seven of them, a few that are well-established and older and a number of startups. So we've been convening them about every uh, other month for the last three or four years. And in doing that, 
we're offering them the opportunities to talk about ways that they can share resources. A lot of the older food co-ops are able to provide support to the startups. And over the last year or so, we've really moved a conversation towards talking about um, inclusion and equity in uh, food systems and in how that shows up in work with our food co-ops. So we're looking forward to doing more of that kind of work, which I think is going to be really helpful for our more mature uh, food co-ops that are primarily in multiracial and multi-class communities and are really trying to figure out how to better practice and serve, uh, practice our values and principles and more widely serve the representation that their community actually has. Mm. Do you all use uh, co-metrics at all to do your financial, you know, food costs particularly, the financial measures so we can compare? I'm not sure what our food co-ops are doing in that area, and we haven't been that engaged with them in that work. Okay. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm excited about what I see co-metrics doing, at least what I hear that they're okay. doing, and I just wanted to see if, if what, on, the, on the ground, how well is that mm-hmm. received? Uh, well, I will bring that up. We'll be meeting in January. I can <laughs> maybe be able to answer later and find out what an opportunity might be in that. So I see you had a 2018 co-op summit and annual meeting in November. I missed it. <laughs> I would like to find out when it's going to be next year and see if I can get up there. And I like that you have principal six sponsors with Cabot cheese or cabot creamery and you have principal three sponsors economic participation how does that work because i've never seen it principal three three, principal three is economic participation normally the co-op you put some money in and when there's a profit you get some money back Mm -hmm. uh, through dividends Mm -hmm. but how do you how do you envision this or imagine i like you use that word several times Principle three being used by the Energy Co-op, Wagner, CPAs, and Ardent Credit Union. What do they do to get yeah. that? An equal exchange. Okay. Yeah. So um, this year was our fourth co-op summit and annual meeting. And it's an opportunity where we invite our co-op members as well as the general public and other folks who are supportive of co-ops to come together and really take a look at what's been going on in our co-op sector over the last the last year, and our board elections are also um, held up during that time. It's also usually a time when we can strategize together about some next steps for PACA, mm-hmm. but also to be able to provide some um, training and education about cooperatives in, in that setting. Well, let, let me stop you a minute. We'll come right back okay. with that on your enemy because we're taking our final break. Time's almost okay. up. We'll, we'll be right back. everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Program is Everything Cooperative, and Jamila Melli is our guest today. She's the executive director of the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance. 
And we're having a great conversation. We get to talk co-op. And you were talking about your annual meeting, that some of the things that you're doing. Could you pick up on that, Jamila, before we took a break? Yeah, sure. So every year, you know, we invite other co-op organizations to help sponsor our event. And um, the ones that you mentioned have been supporters of this event uh, and some others that PAC has put on. And so when we think about economic participation, I think it's really the way in which we all are able to invest in growing our movement. Interestingly, PACA also has a Principle 6 club, and it's our monthly sustaining donor program where individuals can donate to PACA on a monthly basis. And at the annual meeting, one of our Principle 6 club members talked about why she uh, is a member of this program. And she talked about it as being a part of the way in which she is able to demonstrate economic participation, but to do it also as a means of accountability for how she shows up in support of the movement, right? And mm-hmm. so that we can um, we can give our time, we can give our talents, and we can also uh, give our money to make sure that the resources are available to do this work in our communities. Fantastic. Now, how many members do you have of, of PACA? We currently have uh, 21 member co-ops and about two or three that we are actively recruiting and will be joining on likely as new members early next year. Okay. And how many co-ops are in Philly? Well, we've been surveying um, and collecting some data. We think that there are about... 200 cooperatives in the Philadelphia region, about half of those would be credit unions. And the others are going to be everything from food co-ops and housing co-ops to mutual insurance organizations. So we think about 100. Um, so we have a, a, a ways to go with reaching out to the, uh, many more of them. But I think that our, our efforts so far have really helped us form a, a tight-knit network of cooperatives, primarily in the city of Philadelphia. And I think that's one of the areas that we're looking to grow in is to figure out what can we be doing uh, to attract cooperatives and to support cooperative development um, beyond the city of Philadelphia. Um, so a remaining question for us. Well, I just looked up population, and I see that Philadelphia has about 1.6 million people, and Washington, D.C. has about 700,000. Mm-hmm. So you're a little bit more than twice our size, and with 200 co-ops, I don't have any. I have no sense that Washington has 100 co-ops, mm-hmm. about half of what you all do. So we have some growth, and I know we met in Baltimore, where some people there are trying to get more co-ops and looking at what other people are doing around the world. But I'd like to see about trying to get you in sometime to talk to some of the power brokers in in D.C. to see what we can do here to get more co-ops. For all of the reasons yeah. you've already talked about. Yeah. yeah. I think another um, exciting opportunity that we're seeing nationally, and that's also playing out in Philadelphia, is seeing how our local municipalities can be uh, supporting cooperative development as well. And so we're fortunate to have support from the city of Philadelphia in uh, the Commerce Department in doing some work, particularly looking at legacy minority-owned businesses and thinking about, you know, some of these folks are business owners are ready for retirement. They want to move on to the next phase of their life. 
um, and are thinking about how can they sell their business or keep their business going after um, they move on. And so we're working with the city of Philadelphia in imagining um, what this project looks like around converting existing businesses to worker-owned co-ops and getting existing business owners to sell their businesses to their workers, therefore moving workers to owners. And it's a really exciting opportunity. And um, I think one of the, the other levels in which we're thinking about is this a strategy that can support scaling um, co-ops in our cities where um, and, and in other regions where they're really needed while preserving businesses. I was trying to think of a name of a, of a gentleman I met out of Chicago that is working on manufacturing conversions. And he was talking about all of the manufacturing companies, Sweeney, I think is his name. He was all the manufacturing companies that, that go under just because they can't sell or nobody in their family wants to buy it, and then they'll just close their doors. That means the whole community, the community lost those jobs. And those employees, they, got, they lost even more. You know what a recession is? Mm-hmm. It's when your next-door neighbor loses their job. Do you know what a depression is? Say more. Uh-uh. It's when you lose your job. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when, when these people lose their jobs because the, the business was closed, they, there's depression in their households, and the community lose that tax revenue. I mean, it, the, the purchasing power. So if you have a co-op, then they own it, and that money stays in the in the community. The profit stays in the community also. So, yeah, that's a, for, for a whole host of reasons, this uh, converting these businesses that, and there's all of these baby boomers that own businesses that are looking to retire possibly. Okay. So, and looking on your webpage, I said there's just a lot of different co-ops and 21 of them are members. Do you want to talk about any of those that you're working with uh, just to give the, the members out there a sense of when you're saying that, You've got 10 of um, them that you were working with, two have already started? Sure. I can talk a little bit about Bonfire Media Collective, which is a co-op. It is a worker-owned co-op, and they were participated in the 2020 program. They were incubated by a nonprofit organization called the Media Mobilizing Project, and in part, um, there was a need in the nonprofit organization that does uh, media education and movement building work around uh, social justice issues in particular. They um, had all these freelance media makers available to do work for them. And so the nonprofit imagined an opportunity to support the creation of a co-op to both provide more stability for uh, the workers and the freelancers that they were working with, but to also transition that work that wasn't perhaps core to, to MMP's um, mission in a particular kind of way. And so we've worked with them over the course of the last couple of years, providing them with technical assistance, supporting them with, you know, getting their financials ready, um, creating operating agreements, and uh, some other projects. And they launched this summer. 
And we're continuing to work with them through the cooperative, the financial cooperative, and imagining that perhaps in the coming months they might be ready to get their first loan as a part of that, the financial cooperative, which is a, a peer lending network that's uh, across national, across the country, that provides non extractive lending to uh, democratically organized businesses. And so we're really excited to um, see the projection of that, you know, what has been like a two year journey of working with a group of people. Mm-hmm culminate in um, the launch of a successful business and really being able to help them to continue their growth into the next year. Well, I started my business in in 1993. It's been 25 years now. And And I tell people, you almost have to be crazy to start a business, particularly on your own, like I did. There's so many things that you've got to do and you've got all these balls bouncing and one of the major ones is get business. But if you don't have your systems in place, you can get the business and then mess up. So you have all of these balls and bouncing and stuff. And this is why I like co-ops too, because you just took two years to start. I decided I was going to start when I got incorporated and started. <laughs> Where if you had a group of people starting and you do all of this training and stuff, it's such a much better probability of being successful and without all of the upset. Worry, mm-hmm. worry and stuff. And I wouldn't think yeah. about a media a media package, a media cooperative. Can you tell us about another one in the next minute or so? Sure. Um, we're also really looking to grow our work and working with immigrant communities. Some of that did start with us in the 2020 program. One group is PWA, they are another um, cooperative that we've helped to launch in over the last year. And they're a group of uh, immigrant handymen that have come together to form um, a cooperative. And PACA has been one of several partners that have really been supporting them in being able to both develop the business acumen to do the internal work um, and supporting them in, you know, being able to build those internal structures, as as you just suggested, that are so important to running a business. So we've been working with them as well over the last couple of years and have been excited to see their growth. And there's a network, I think, of, of, of businesses and individuals and communities, particularly in the immigrant communities coming out of uh, Central and South America that Mm -hmm. are here in Philadelphia. We're really excited to be figuring out over the course of the next year in our engagement with them. We got to run. I'm sorry. We got to get you back on. It's great. Thank you so very, very much. And everybody out there, please have a great, great week and live cooperatively. Thanks, Jamila. Thank you. News Talk, 1450 AM, WOM, and 95.9 FM.